0: All right, today we're going to look at uh, the last letter and the acronym TULIP, which defines the doctrines of Calvinism, or also known as the doctrines of grace. Uh, we'll we do a quick review of what we learned so far. Uh, just real quick and we will get to P. First of all, the acronym is TULIP, of course, T-U-L-I-P. And today we're dealing with P, which stands for perseverance of the saints. Uh, more accurately, it is actually preservation of the saints. We'll get to more of that in a second. Let's just review the, what we've gone through so far. Uh, we looked at T, and what T basically says, uh, or means total depravity, is what it stands for. Or really, uh, more naturally, uh, in a better understanding, is total inability. Uh, because every person who's a Christian believes that sinners are totally depraved. The question is when they became that and, and how they became that. Uh, but uh, total this T uh, stands for total inability, which basically means that sinners have no ability to have faith in Jesus, no ability to repent of their sins. And very uh, closely tied to T is the idea of original sin. Because of the avenue of sin that uh, each person from there and out is born a sinner. Um, and we discussed that a lot in the Total depravity video. Um, and that going along with original sin, Calvinism teaches that Adam's sin is imputed to, to his whole posterity uh, and they're guilty of Adam's sin. And consistent Calvinism teaches that uh, babies go to hell for Adam's sin. Because in order to be elect, you have to repent and trust, and babies have no ability to repent and trust, therefore they must go to hell. Uh, so people are born sinners. Uh, people sin because they're sinners. They're not sinners because they sin. That's what Calvinism teaches. And sin is basically some stuff, some sinful, they don't want to call it that, but some kind of sinful nature inside of you, because the Bible does not teach you out uh, that makes you commit these sins, or it's the causation that makes you commit these sins. What we learned is that uh, sin is a moral free will action. It's a willful transgression of God's law. But when there's an age of accountability or, or an age of knowledge or understanding at this point in time, that's when people become sinners and they choose to go against the knowledge, the understanding that they have, and they become accountable to God. But if someone's not to that age yet, they're not held accountable uh, for things they do. Uh, for example, if a five year old uh, committed a uh, sin like lying, they wouldn't be held accountable for like I would or, or someone else who's to the stand of accountability would. Uh, so they're not considered sinners in God's eyes. Now we're born with the flesh. Now, this flesh gives natural desires uh, that would, uh, you know, we can gratify naturally. Like uh, you have the desire to drink, desire to eat. At some point in time, we have desire for sexual relations. And all these natural desires that come from the flesh can be fulfilled lawfully or unlawfully. And uh, the unlawful fulfillment of the flesh is a sin. So the flesh can tempt us to do things unlawfully simply because the temptation is there and we have the desire from the flesh to fulfill this desire and we can fulfill it unlawfully. Uh, But this flesh can tempt us to sin but in itself is not sin. The temptation is not sin. Jesus himself is tempted in all points as we are, yet was without sin. Uh, We're only accountable to God for our own sins, not for anybody else's sins. Uh, God commands all men, everywhere to repent and trust because he gives you ability to repent and trust. God has given every man to get the free will, and free will is simply the power to choose between right and wrong. Not the power to do whatever you want to do. It's the power to choose between right and wrong. Temptation presents itself. You can fulfill it. Uh, you can give in temptation, or you can decide not to give in temptation. That's simply what free will teaches. Next letter is U, which stands for unconditional election, and basically, uh, you know, uh, teaches that God picks and chooses who will be saved. Uh, some people are predestined from before the world began to go to hell, and some are predestined to go to heaven. Uh, if you're predestined to go to hell, it no matter, doesn't matter how hard you try or how much you would want to be saved, even though the Calvinists say that he would never want to be saved, you're going to hell. And if you're predestined to heaven, it doesn't matter how wicked you live, uh, at some point in time, God will force himself upon you, he'll drag you to salvation, as they say from John 6, as they say, and he'll convert you. And, and basically, he says that God plays favorites. He picks... Certain people, in fact, he picks very few people to go to heaven, and the rest he damns to hell. Uh, even though he, there is creation, and uh, supposedly he loves the whole world, he damns them to hell, and, uh, and arbitrarily. What we learn then that is that God wants all to be saved. He allows them to choose for themselves if they'll be saved or not. Of course, now God draws them, according to John 12:32, he draws all men unto himself. Uh, he, he presents the grace of God to them, but they resist it. They resist the grace of God. But he allows them to choose for themselves. Uh, God predestines a certain type of person, not a group or a people, not individuals. Uh, So God predestines a certain kind of person or a certain group of people. but He's not predestined uh, individuals for heaven or hell. Uh, God does not play favorites. When people play favorites, God calls it a sin. We also look at certain words like chosen and and foreknowledge, and we look at what these means. Uh, We saw the word chosen doesn't always mean picked. Uh, it can also mean precious to God. Uh, in fact, most times, when that word is translated as, as uh, chosen in the Bible, it's translated as precious. If you look at Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, you'll see that for yourself. If this word is translated as chosen in the New Testament, oftentimes it's translated as a precious jewel or something that's precious to God. It doesn't mean picked, like He picked them out. Um, foreknowledge doesn't always mean known from all eternity. Uh, it could just mean, I knew earlier today. I, I foreknew the event. Uh, and then we looked at L. L stands for Limited Atonement. And, and simply put, what, what it teaches is that uh, Christ did not die for everyone. Christ only died for the people God has picked to be saved. Uh, and they deal with the idea here, and the reason they believe in this, is the idea of double jeopardy. If God died, if Christ died literally for the exact uh, payment, the exact punishment that we, a sinner deserved, and he took the punishment for all sinners, then sinners cannot be punished for their sins, that leads to universalism. So therefore, because of their view of the atonement, they have to have a limited atonement. Uh, Look at this idea of Jesus paying your fine and what that means, if He took your exact punishment, and look at the idea of Him dying for the many and not for the all. Uh, But uh, we learn that Jesus did die for all. Uh, He died for the all, but it's the many who will be saved, the many who will choose to repent and trust in Him. He fulfilled the law. Jesus did not take our exact punishment, our exact punishment as sinners is hell forever. And Jesus didn't go to hell forever. Uh, we looked at it, we, we saw that, uh, that if he did take our exact punishment, he would go to a million, let's just say there's a million people who could say he'd go to a million hells forever. Uh, the atonement of Jesus is a substitute for sinners going to hell. A substitute. Uh, Jesus, uh, not an exact substitute, uh, but it's it's a, a It's a sufficient substitute for sinners going to hell. And and, and we have to, as sinners, we have to either trust in the substitute or we get what we deserve, which is hell forever. Uh, Jesus died to reconcile us to God the Father, to reconcile us into a right relationship with him. uh, We can be one together. We're we're separated uh, not by God's wrath and indignation, we're separated uh, because we're sinners. And uh, we need to turn from our sin and trust in the sacrifice of Christ and we can be reconciled to God based on Christ's atonement. God, Jesus did not die to satisfy God's wrath or his, God's personal wrath or his personal justice. Uh, God is able and willing to forgive and pardon the sinner. He doesn't have to pour out his wrath on someone or something. That's just ridiculous. But God is, is uh, willing and able to forgive and pardon the sinner if the right conditions are met. And the conditions that the met are the uh, blood atonement of a sinless man as well as repentance and faith of the sinner. So God did his part, he, he provided the blood atonement of a perfect sinless person, uh, which only he could do that, because everyone has chosen to sin and go their own way, um, but we need to meet our part, which is faith and repentance, and, and then of course persevering to the end. And if those conditions are met, God can pardon and forgive a person. We looked at I, uh, finally, before our blood I read to today, is irresistible grace, it basically means that... Uh, whoever God wants to be saved will be saved they have no choice in the matter he will drag them to salvation uh, and they can't resist his dragging I uh, kind of picture the, the caveman pulling his wife by the back of her hair back into the cave that's kind of the way I picture uh, with irresistible Grace uh, so he drags them to salvation against their will because they're sinners and uh, up to that point they have no desire to serve God so he drags them against their will to salvation people have no free will if God has chosen you he will drag you and you will respond uh, since sinners are dead, and because dead means no free will, according to the Calvinists, uh, and you have no ability to repent, trust God grants these people, the elect, this uh, repentance and gives them faith as a gift. Uh, man is totally passive when it comes to salvation. In this view, it's just monergism. But uh, I believe in the Bible is synergism: the Holy Spirit attempting to draw all men; uh, that the Holy Spirit is committing the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment; that all good things are a gift from God, including free will. So free will is a gift from God. Uh, God commands us to repent because He gives the ability to repent. God commands us to believe because He gives the ability to believe. Uh, Dead doesn't mean you can't do anything. It simply means that your relationship with God is broken. You're dead to Him spiritually because according to John 17, 3, uh, this is eternal life, knowing God the Father and when He has sinned. If you don't know God because you're in your sin, you're separated from Him, therefore you're dead to Him. That's what dead means according to the Bible. It means your sin is separated from God, and therefore your relationship with Him is dead. Man is not totally passive in salvation. Uh, There's synergism. Uh, So, man is very active, but he will still never receive the glory for any of his salvation. Okay? Alright, so let's look at today's perseverance, or more rightly said, preservation of the saints. Uh, So, it basically teaches that the belief that once a person is truly a Christian... They will continue to be a Christian until the day they die. Uh, They could fall away even for a period of time, but they will never finally or totally fall away, according to the catechisms. Uh, So since they have no ability to choose God, uh, because they're born sinners, they have to sin according to their sinful nature, God chooses them, He uh, sends His Son to die only for them, He draws only them, of course, the natural conclusion is, they must persevere to the end. Now, if all the first four are right, but P is wrong, Uh, then God is is, is not powerful enough to keep them. You know, God picked them, but He can't keep them. So it's a natural conclusion when when you're looking at a tulip, but it's still not biblical. And I think, really, this is the one I held on to the longest when it came to this tulip. It's really the one I believed, according to the Calvinist point of view, is P. Uh, But I held on to this the longest, but it's actually, in my point of view, uh, has the most scripture against it when it comes to these uh, five letters. Um, So, the other four points are right, it must, the fifth point must be right. Uh, but hopefully what we'll see uh, is that this has nothing to do with whether God has the power to keep someone saved or not. So this falling away or losing your salvation has nothing to do with God's ability or God's power. Uh, and if someone departs from the faith or is cut off or if they fall away, they didn't lose their salvation. Now that's typically what what's called is losing your salvation. Uh, but really to be more biblical, It should be called departing from the faith, being cut off, or falling away. And we'll see that today when we look at the Scriptures. The term lose your salvation is kind of a derogatory way of saying it. I mean, it's not like, you know, you lose your salvation like your keys fall out of your pocket. Well, I lost my keys. Where did my keys go? No, it's it's this person willfully, deliberately rejects the grace of God. They don't continue in their salvation. Uh, So, when someone loses their salvation, they lose it willfully. So, biblical terms are are departing from the faith, being cut off and fallen away. But just for this video's sake, because people are used to saying, losing your salvation, I'm going to use that term uh, for this, for today. So, let's look at some verses that are supposedly for it. let's look at um, Philippians chapter 1, and verse 6. This is one of the, in my mind, one of the favorite verses they like to use. Uh, It's the one I hear the most common. Uh, But people need to really study and see what it's saying here. Philippians chapter one and verse six. This is Paul writing to the Church of Philippi. Now to start in verse three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, and for you, Church of Philippi. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident this very thing that he began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So people read this verse and they say, Well, look, see, he's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But well, let's, you know, let's do this in context here. First of all, this is written to the Church of Philippi. It's not written to all Christians, everywhere, universally. And he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began to work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, and, and first of all, he's not saying, I know for sure. He's saying, I'm confident. Uh, he, doesn't say, he doesn't say, I, I guaranteed that it will happen. Paul is just simply confident because he knows them. He knows they're like, In fact, he says in verse 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. So he's one of the ones that founded this church, and he's confident by knowing their character, knowing what their past is like, that God will be, that Christ will finish the work he began in them. Of course, because they're submitting to him, they're living for him. And that's why he says in chapter 2 and verse 12, Then for my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. So, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, so, God's ability is not in question here. God definitely has the ability to keep someone saved. The question is, that, does that person have free will or not? Well, if you believe in the first four letters or two of obviously they don't have free will. But I believe the Bible teaches they do have free will, uh, so therefore they can depart from, from, uh, from salvation. Uh, and hopefully by the today you'll see that they can lose their salvation. So there are a couple other verses that basically are saying the same thing. Hebrews 7 uh, and verse 25 says, uh, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So God is able. We, we have no doubt about that. There's no argument there from people who believe what I believe, whether God is able to keep someone saved or not. The question is, will that person depart from the faith or not? And then uh, Jude, and verse twenty-four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Uh, so God is able. no so doubt about that. All right, let's look at another uh, verse, Romans chapter eight, and verse one. Now, uh, if you have like an NIV, it's going to cut out the second part of this verse here, unfortunately, but I think it's very important. I'm supposed Romans chapter 8, I'm reading from the New King James, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, they use this verse to look, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation for you. But even if we were to stop there like the NIV does, you have to be in Christ Jesus. The question is, once you get in Christ Jesus, do you automatically remain in Christ Jesus, no matter what you do? That's the question. So even if we stop there like the NIV does, that's the question. But I, I want to read on here. It really clarifies this, uh, uh, let me just read from the beginning again, therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So if you consider yourself a Christian, whether you've had a true experience of faith in the past or not, or being born again in the past, uh, if you're walking in the flesh, then you have condemnation. Condemnation is only for those who are walking according to the spirit. That's what the scripture says here. So, uh, if you're walking according to the flesh, you are condemning yourself. And if you read the rest of Romans 8 and you read Romans 6, uh, you'll see all about living a holy life and what is expected of you if you call yourself a Christian. Now, also this idea of this word sealed. This is one of the words that really uh, kept me believing in this probably the longest. When I really looked into it, I saw what it really is saying here. There's, I think three verses we're going to look at here when it comes to this uh, sealed idea verses 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22 which says uh, who also has oh this is reading verse 21 now he who established us with you in Christ has anointed us is God who also sealed us and given us a spirit in our hearts as a guarantee and then Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says this and him you also trusted as you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to so the praise of His glory. And then Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, so this word sealed, first of all, doesn't mean something that can't be broken. It's kind of like a seal for a letter or our seal that is a mark of uh, ownership. Uh, but that is, it's not like a seal that can't be broken, like you can't rip it apart. It's not what it means here. Um, and let's just look into Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 here. I think it really clarifies it. In uh, whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So every person who becomes a Christian gets the Holy Spirit inside of them. Now, now, that, now that explains in verse 14 what the Holy Spirit is. Who is a guarantee of our inheritance. Okay, the word guarantee there simply means a deposit or a uh, or a sure guarantee. For example, if I if I were to go out and buy a car, let's just say for example the car costs ten thousand dollars, and I put a thousand dollars down on that car, and I, I sign this contract to, to pay payments over four or five years, and uh, you know my, I sign the contract, so I'm going to make these payments every month a certain money each month, and at the end I actually own the car until then it's owned by the finance company, and uh, if I if I uh, go back on my promise, don't make payments for three or four months, they're going to repossess my car. Because I stopped on, on, on the, the contract I signed. So the Holy Spirit is a deposit of what is to come. Uh, so it's a deposit inside of us of glorification, which is to come. And uh, But it doesn't guarantee glorification in the end. Okay? So it's a, a sure down deposit uh, is all it means. You know, so if we uh, forfeit our part of this, of persevering until the end, then we've uh, reneged on our part of the contract, and we won't have the full possession. What's what it says over here, it says, Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. So the redemption of the purchased possession hasn't happened yet. The person has received the Holy Spirit, but they haven't had the redemption of the purchased possession yet. So we haven't fully been saved yet. That's final salvation. I talked about what that in one of my other videos called Initial, Initial Salvation, Final Salvation, and Probation. Uh, and then you can look at Ephesians 4.30. It says right here, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And it goes on to say some things that you can do to grieve the Holy Spirit away. Let, not, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So, you can, you can be a person who will grieve the Holy Spirit, who's been put inside of you as a seal, as a mark of ownership, as a sure-down You can grieve them away, and then you won't be redeemed uh, as a purchased possession in the end and be glorified in glorification. Okay, so this is reversible. This seal is reversible. Um, and this guarantee is not a guarantee, I guarantee that you're going to go to heaven. It's not what it means there. And the NASB actually translates the, uh, the guarantee as pledge, as a pledge, okay? A down payment or a pledge on glorification, the final salvation, as Ephesians 1.14 says. Uh, so that is the hope we have in Christ Jesus. And, and, and a hope, according to the Bible, is the finest thing we have not yet received. We have not yet uh, it's not yet been fulfilled. Uh, if you look at Romans chapter 8, verses 23 and 25, you can see the definition, uh, or you can see hope defined in the Bible. Romans 8, verse 23 to 25 says this, Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. There you go, the deposit of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. Because it hasn't happened yet. The redemption of our body. But we are saved in this hope but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance with perseverance uh, so if someone departs from the faith, they haven't persevered to the end they've lost the hope they have in Jesus Christ and they've lost the hope of redemption or adoption in the end uh, and then you got John chapter 6 in verse 37 there's another uh, proof text used for uh, perseverance of the saints. Uh, chapter 6 and verse 37-40 through 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me that all that he has given me I should lose nothing but I should raise him up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Uh, the word cast here, uh, when it says uh, by no means cast him out in verse 37, is a Greek word at atbalo. It means to literally force out or throw out. And of course God's will is that all who come to Christ, or have ever come to Christ, to be saved, that they endure today. That's God's will. Because God wants everyone to be saved. So of course, he never wants anyone to depart from the faith. That's not his will. And that has been already seen many times in this whole series of Tula, God wants all to be saved. So it doesn't mean that it's going to happen, though. Uh, just because God, it's God's will for something to happen doesn't I mean it's going to happen. I mean, God, God never wants sin. Uh, God wants everyone to live uh, holy and perfect. But do they do that? No, so God's will isn't always done. Uh, so the fact of the matter here, this doesn't teach that once someone, someone is saved, they're going to stay saved. Okay, in verse 37, that issue is dealt with in, in the U, I'm not going to get into that any further. Uh, and then there's this idea of 2 Corinthians 13.5, and, uh, you know, this is quoted a lot in uh, these circles, uh, especially those who call themselves Calvinists who believe in holiness. I say holiness because they don't really mean what holiness is. They, they mean that you sin every day, but you're still holy, this makes no sense to me. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? Uh, so this idea uh, is common kind of idea presented by those who are Calvinists and preach a form of holiness. Uh, is that if you are practicing sin or involved in some kind of gross sin, whatever those mean. I mean, practicing sin. What does it mean? I mean, you sin once a day, once a week, once a month. What does it mean? I mean, five times a day. Uh, you know, I heard a guy say on a radio show, I can't go four minutes without sinning. You know, maybe he was exaggerating, but this is ridiculous. That, that's not holiness. Now, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So, so it's the idea of practicing sin, or, or if you're involved in some kind of gross sin, you know, I guess they kind of rate sins, like maybe a lie is not as big sin, or selfishness is not as big a sin as, as adultery, or, or fornication, or pornography. But if you're involved in some kind of gross sin, or, or you're practicing sin, you are never saved in the first place. They need to examine yourself to see if you were ever born again. In other words, they don't believe that someone can backslide. The problem with this is that people who truly have been saved in the past, even in a miraculous way, start to question whether their past experience was really from God or not. I know someone uh, from a college campus who he he was I guess he had some kind of sin in his life, but he he's been a Christian for a while. He was an open air preacher, and he was very zealous for the Lord. Thought he was living a holy life, and knew uh, his his faith, involved apologetics. And uh, these Calvinists he was hanging out with uh, told him that he's either never saved or he's in a, or he basically a And uh, that's, it blows my mind. And what this guy's doing is he's, he's challenging, whether well, if I'm not saved right now because of what these guys are saying, uh, then, and, and I was never saved, then what is salvation? I mean, this experience I had in the past, life-changing experience, when I used to live this way, and I started living this way, I got jealous for the Word of God, you know, diving into the Word of God, but and that wasn't salvation. And what it leads to is this defeatist mentality, uh, this uh, me mentality is, you know, can I be saved? And that's what he's doing. He's he's, uh, basically almost becoming an atheist now. He's really looking into it because he's thinking to himself, if that wasn't God in the past, that was just me being delusional, God probably doesn't even exist in the first place. So it's very dangerous uh, for someone to do this because if someone had a wonderful, changing experience in the past, and I go tell them they were never saved, they will doubt everything that they've ever experienced. With God, and I'm by no means uh, against people examining themselves. Now, I believe, especially here in America, there's lots of people who call themselves Christians who probably have never been saved. But uh, you can't go around telling them emphatically if they're in sin right now that they were never saved. But that's what Calvinism does. that's what perseverance of the saints does. Uh, so, but I, I believe that someone can think they're saved and they never were saved. And I believe someone can have bits it in the past and could have backed it. it's both and, not either or. It's a both and situation. Okay? Someone can draw back from God's salvation. Someone can go back to their sins, as we will see in this message. Uh, this idea of Jesus forgiving you of past, present, and future sins. Uh, so this is a totally unbiblical uh, doctrine and leads to a license of sin. And these are preachers like John Piper saying, the most wonderful news to hear is that he sins every day, and his sins are already forgiven. How blasphemous is that? That's using uh, the grace of God, a license to sin. Uh, Some people may may believe this doctrine verbally, but they don't really practically uh, practice it either. So, there's people who are just, uh, you know, mistaken in their theology. Uh, These same people will confess, these people who believe that they're forgiven of their past, present, and future sins, they'll confess their sins to God. As if their sins uh, weren't already forgiven. Well, if their sins are already forgiven, why are you confessing them to him? You know, I'll ask a Calvinist. You know, have you repented of your sins since becoming a Christian? Yeah, I have. Well, uh, why would you do that? If you if if why do you need to repent? If they're already forgiven, why do you need to repent of them? They're under the blood. Christ saved you of past, present, and future sins. Uh, but the Bible does say, however, that one is forgiven of their past sins through uh, through the blood of Jesus. You can find that in 2 Peter one i can going to read that. Uh, but you can't be forgiven of present rebellion. Because to be forgiven of sins, you must repent of your sins. And if you're currently in sin, presently, you haven't repented of it. Or, or if you're planning to sin in the future, or you, there's a sin in the future you haven't committed, you can't be forgiven of that yet because you haven't repented of that. Uh, the only forgiven sin is repented of sin. Unrepentant sin is unforgiven sin. Right, let's look at some passages now. Those are some of the ones that are for it. Let's, let's look at some ones now that are, are clearly against it. Let's go to the Old Testament first, Ezekiel 33. And we'll look at verses uh, 12 through 20. Alright. Uh, sorry, verse 11. This is uh, God speaking. say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people, The righteousness of the righteous, man will not deliver him in a day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it, in the day that he turns from his wickedness, nor shall the righteous be able to, to live because of his righteousness in the day he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. Because of the iniquity he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, he shall surely die, and if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statues of, his, of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the sinners he has committed shall be remembered against him. He's pardoned of them. He has done what his lawful righteous shall surely live. And the children of your people say, The way of the Lord is not fair. But it is their way which is not fair. When the righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall die because of it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful right, he shall live because of it. And you say, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, I will do every one of you according to his own... Ways. So we have this saying in Israel that if a righteous man uh, commits sin, well, I guess he shouldn't he shouldn't be uh, you know condemned for his sin. And in the saying, Well, if you condemn a righteous man who's had all these righteous deeds in the past, live righteously, and then he sins, you you condemn him for his sin, that's that's not fair, God. That's what I hear these people saying who believe in not only a perseverance of the saints, but believe in one always only. Sin. Different form of uh, eternal security. Uh, not much different, but it is a little bit different. Uh, so, and, and so he's dealing with. it, said, "In the one who is living in sin, if he turns from it and starts living right, I'll forgive him all his past sins. I'll pardon of it. I won't, I won't hold it against him any longer." That's what it says. So, for those who say it's not fair for God, you know, if I just commit one sin to, uh, to send me to hell for it after I become a Christian, well, go read the scriptures. That's what the scriptures say. Uh, so we need to just we need to believe in the Bible does so not believe what our, our feelings say our experience says believe in the Bible says uh, so it's, it's just really clear I don't have to get any clearer than that and then you got Romans chapter uh, let's look at John 15 actually verse John 15 it's talking about the vine and the branches Jesus says I am the true vine my father is the vine dresser every branch in me does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit You are already clean, because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. David does not abide in me. He does not abide in me. Or... Remain in me. That's what the word abide means. The Greek word meno means remain. So every time I've read the word abide so far, you can switch it for the word remain. If anyone does not remain in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. So you have these branches which are remaining in him. And as they're remaining in him, they're bearing much fruit. So apart from him, they can't bear any good fruit. But... The fact that he's saying, if you remain in me, that means the chance you don't have to remain in me, you're being broken off. And the Bible does say, if you do not remain in me, you're cast out as a branch, and you're withered, and they gather those branches together and they throw them into the fire to be burned. If, if I have a tree outside, it's an apple tree, This one it has, it's one big branch that's taking up a lot of the energy of the tree, and has no fruit on it, I'm going to break it off and burn it. And that's what God does for those who do not produce fruit. Uh, to show shows that they're not abiding or remaining in the vine. So if you remain in the vine, guess what? You're going to bear much fruit. Uh, so again, John 15. A very clear passage teaches that someone can be broken off or cut off and not remain in the vine after they've been a part of it. So you, if you haven't been a part of it, you can't be broken off from it. If you weren't in it in the first place, you can't stop remaining in it. So it's just very common sense when it comes to this passage. I also look at Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, and we'll start in verse 19. And I'm not gonna read the whole, you know, this I could go back to the verse one to give you the context here, but the context is basically a Jew and Gentile situation here. Uh, the, G, the Jews were were not trusting the Messiah. Most of them weren't anyway, the, the actual uh, uh, Jews who were from Abraham's, physical Jews, okay? Of course, we know Romans 2 says that, that not all Israel is Israel, but it's not of circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart, who are the true Israel. So he's talking to the, the physical Israel now, and he's saying, uh, in verse 19, this is a supposed Gentile conversation here, you will say then, them, the Gentiles will say then, them, branches were broken off, the Jews, that I might be grafted in to the mind. Well said. Because of unbelief, the Jews who do not believe, they are broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either, Gentiles. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness. If, if you continue in this goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. (laughs) And they also, talking about the Jews, if they do not continue in unbelief, we'll be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. A very clear teaching here. First of all, it teaches that Jews, who were the elect, they were the elect. Uh, you, you believe that if you're elected, you stay elected. Uh, they were the elect, and they were broken off. Why? Because of unbelief. An unbelief is a sin. So they're broken off because of their sin. Uh, and the Gentiles were grafted in. And God says, do not be haughty, do not be prideful with fear. You know, consider the goodness and the severity of God. For your goodness, if you continue in good. So if you don't continue in God's goodness, you'll be cut off as well. You'll be cut off as well. And they're also talking about the Jews. They can be, so it teaches someone who can fall away from the faith, uh, someone who already has, a group of people who already have fallen away from the faith, people who are in the faith now but could fall away from the faith, and also those who have fallen away from the faith can be grafted back in if they don't continue in unbelief. So you have uh, some people will have fallen away, way, people who can't fall away, people who have and can graph it back in. Very clear teaching. Can't get any clearer than that. Alright, let's look at 1 um, Corinthians, chapter 9, and we'll start in verse 27. Alright. And we'll go down through verse 13 of chapter 10. Paul said, I discipline my body, and bring it into subjection, lest when I am preached to others, I myself, should become disqualified disqualified for salvation. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea, talking about Moses and the, the twelve tribes of Israel. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. So they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But most of them, the people who are in the desert forty years, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted after evil things. And did not make them idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, people sat down to eat, drank and drink, and rode with the plague. Nor let us commit sexual morality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents nor complained. Some of them also complained and were destroyed by the Destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You think you stand? You better take heed lest you fall. You better take heed lest you fall. And then Paul gives an exhortation. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. For the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, he's clearly teaching here, just uh, like we'll see in Hebrews here in a second, that the example in the Old Testament was for our example. And that we shouldn't follow their example. We should follow Christ. And we shouldn't get in the temptation. We take heed lest we fall. i then we're going to look at uh, Hebrews, chapter 3, starting in verse 17, uh, verse 7, Hebrews 3 and verse 7. It says this. Uh, it's very similar to 1 Corinthians we just read in chapter 10. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. The day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, they tried me and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore on my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Beware, brethren, Lest there be any of you an evil heart, unbelief, and departing from the living God, but exhort one of them daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Beware, brothers, Christians. Lest any be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who haven't heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. Well, if so they didn't obey, they sinned. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since so the a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So, in, of course, in the Old Testament, they're talking about entering into the promised land. Now, our promised land is heaven. That's persevering to the end. Uh, so beware lest any of you seem to have come short of it. And then down verse 11, it says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same promise. Example of disobedience. The same example of disobedience. So these are are five uh, clear passages, not just a verse here and there, clear passages that clearly teach conditional security, first of all, that someone can fall away from the faith, and then after they fall away from faith, they can be grafted back in if they don't continue in their sins. Uh, Now let's look at some some categories of of verses here. Uh, We're going to look at verses that talk about the if, Uh, fall short, endure, and continue passages. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 6, actually, I'm sorry. Matthew 6 and verse 14 and 15. It says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you trespasses. So if you have a professing Christian, unforgiveness in your heart towards anyone, according to this scripture, you don't have the forgiveness of God. That only forgives those who forgive others. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22. It says, And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, Pete obviously teaches that everyone who has been saved will persevere to the end. Uh, so they usually won't have a problem with this, but the fact that it says he who endures to the end, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but a he who endures to the end. which So there's an assumption there that there will be some who will not endure to the end. It's very clear from the passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 in verse 13 says this. Same thing, but he who endures the end, let's just read from uh, verse 11 then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold so those who used to be on fire for God, their love will grow cold because lawlessness is abounding, sins abounding but he who endures to the end will be saved, only he who endures to the end, those who, whose love grow cold, those who, who uh, uh, are involved in this lawlessness abounding, this sin abounding they will not endure to the end, they will lose their salvation uh, Mark thirteen, thirteen. So the same thing of uh, the old one says, uh, and, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures the end will be saved. Uh, let's look at uh, Acts chapter, or First Corinthians fifteen, verses one and two. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I have preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Yeah, if you believe for a while, but then you depart from the faith, all the believing you did before was in vain. All the suffering you, you suffered, all the persecution, they suffered persecution like crazy back in these days. Have you suffered persecution for the name of Jesus and you depart from the faith? All of suffering was in vain. All the believing was in vain. You wasted your time. If you're not, if you're not going to persevere to the you must not be a Christian in the first place. Not just live in your sin and live it up because you're going to go to hell in the end. No reason to have a miserable life during uh, persecution. You've been for five years and then go to hell in the end. No reason to do that. You must, you must persevere until the end. Uh, Galatians chapter six, in verses seven through 9 do not be deceived God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption or destruction But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life so you have uh, everlasting life and destruction I was talking about heaven and hell there Perseverance to the end, not perseverance to the end whatever you sow into your life and let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if, if we do not lose heart. If we do not lose heart. We shall reap eternal life. Uh, then we have uh, Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 through 23. It says this. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now he has reconciled Christ is reconciled through his atonement and the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above in his sight if indeed you continue in the faith if indeed you continue in the faith grounded in the steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard now remember hope is something you have not received you not seen yet otherwise it's not hope according to the bible Romans 8 so, if you continue in the faith, ground in a steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. And then we have uh, Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 1. And If anyone ever wants to know about conditional security or losing your salvation, just read the book of Hebrews. I mean, I can see why Luther didn't like the book of Hebrews. And he wanted to take it out of the Bible, and thought it was straw compared to the rest of the books of the Bible, which he derived as proof text for his doctrine. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Lest we drift away. And it says in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, that's not about rejecting here. It hasn't been rejected. been received. That's about neglecting it. Not working on your salvation with fear and trembling, as Philippians says. So if we neglect salvation, how will you escape? The answer is you will not escape If you sow to please the flesh, you reap destruction. If you sow to please the Spirit, you reap eternal life, For the Bible teaches. And then we have uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. Let's start in verse 5. Moses indeed was faithful to all his his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which, which would be spoken of afterward. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are, if, so we're the house of Christ, the body of Christ, the church of Christ. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm until the end. Anytime you see the word "if" in the Bible, it means you can go either way. If, if this or that, it can go either way. That's what it's saying here. If there's no possibility of the parting of faith they wouldn't say it. Say like you are going to persevere in. You are going to uh, rejoice. You are going to hold fast the confidence. You already are a believer. So, the if says that that they will, that there is a possibility of someone falling away. Uh, Hebrews 4, and verse 14. Seeing that then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. Uh, And then in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you so the same diligence, to a full assurance of hope until the end that you you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises so you don't actually inherit the fullness of the promises until the end when you persevere to the end you finished the race, as Paul says without being disqualified Okay, Uh, and then uh, verse 15 of Hebrews 6 and so after he had patiently endured he obtained the promise after he patiently endured. And then we have uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. It says you can waver, obviously. If you're saying don't waver uh, and you really can't waver, then it's a useless words. It's useless to even waste paper on a page. Even it was papyrus uh, back then. It's a a waste of words. if you have no uh, chance of wavering or losing your salvation. Uh, Then in Hebrews chapter uh, 10 and verse 26 uh, through, uh, let's see, 26 through 30, what's 39? For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. If this person received the knowledge of the truth and they sin willfully, by a certain fearful expectation of judgment, and fire indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy and testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought worthy? He was trampled the Son of God foot, counted the blood of the covenant, by which he was sanctified. So this person has been sanctified. and trampled the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot. And he's counted the blood of the covenant, by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay to the Lord." And again, the Lord will judge his people. His people is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then down in verse 35, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So don't cast away. Is what which means you can cast away your confidence? Otherwise, it's more wasted in uh, going to page. For you have no need. For you have. For you have need of endurance. So after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For in a little while, he who is coming will come, will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So he had confidence in them and he wanted them to say that. 2 Peter Uh, Verse 3, or chapter 3, I mean, and verse 7. Let's see. Oh, verse 17, actually. Chapter 3 and verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, talking about Christians here, beloved, since you know this beforehand, talking about false prophets who are coming, uh, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Being led away with the error of the wicked, beware, lest you fall from your own steadfastness. So, remains steadfast, but they can fall away from that steadfastness. Uh, and then Jude, twenty and twenty-one. Jude doesn't have any chapters, of course, just has verses. Uh, verse twenty. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life so keep yourselves in the love of God well I thought you couldn't, you couldn't depart from the love of God well no, you can, that's why he's saying keep yourselves in it and he says, looking unto the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ looking for the mercy so, I mean, they're in the love of Christ but they don't have the mercy of God now let's talk about the final salvation someone who's persevered to the end, you're looking for that when Christ comes back or when he died in you She's looking for the mercy of our Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And then I'll see. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, going back to that real quick, uh, verses 14 and 15. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Wait a minute now. How can you fall short of the grace of God? Well, it's obvious. By not having a holy life. By not having a holy life. So, this this is conditional salvation. This is upon repentance, faith, holiness, and obedience to the end. You must persevere to the end. There is no unconditional salvation where you're preserved until the end by God. Notice that Scripture doesn't suddenly say that every true believer will continue. In fact, these Scriptures assume, over and over again, The true possibility that some won't continue. Now, let's look at examples in Scripture of those who actually didn't continue in the faith. They actually were once in the faith and they decided to depart from the faith. 1 John chapter 6 and verse 56. He says, uh, from that time, after Jesus was talking to them, he says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Went back and walk with him. No more. And in the Bible, disciple and Christian are synonymous. So they were followers of Jesus, and Jesus said in, in uh, Luke 9, 23, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow me. So these disciples were doing that, but they turned back and followed him no more. Uh, and then we look, look at, uh, let's see, Judas Iscariot. Let's look at, uh, See John chapter ten, I believe. It was Matthew ten. Okay, Matthew ten, talking about uh, Jesus setting up the twelve. And let's see. So twelve disciples, he called them to him. Uh, it says in verse one of Matthew ten. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and he healed all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So he gave all his twelve disciples the power to heal, the power of unclean spirits, to cast them out, uh, to heal all kinds of sickness and, and, and kinds of diseases. And it says in verse 4, that Judas Iscariot was also among them. So it's including Judas. So Judas Iscariot had the ability to cast out demons and heal sickness and diseases. Uh, so in verse 5 it says, Then then twelve these twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, down to verse 7, As you go, Preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So Judas went out from Jesus at this point in time, with the ability to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Uh, and then in verse uh, 16, talking to the same twelve disciples, and Judas is a part of them. Behold, I send you up as sheep. In the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, wait a minute. How can, Jesus, how can Judas be a sheep? Shouldn't he be saying, I send you out, uh, eleven of you as sheep and one of you as wolves? Uh, the one who's going out with them, because they're going out two by two, beware of your partner there. No, that's not what he said. He said, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. And then in verse 19, he says, But when they deliver you up, talking about the uh, Jews or the authorities, not worry about power what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So the Spirit of the Father is going to speak through Judas? I mean, he had to have been a Christian. He had to have been a follower of Christ. And the Bible makes it very clear that Christ Himself chose Judas to be a Christian. He didn't choose Christ. Christ chose him. Uh, And then in verse 24, it says, A disciple is not above his master, nor a servant. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. So he's a disciple and he's a servant of Jesus. Uh, So all these things he went through, Uh, but then he departed from the faith. And uh, it says in in Acts 1, chapter 1, in verse uh, 24 and 25, it says uh, how he departed from the faith. It says uh, in verse 24, that they're, you know, they're trying to replace Judas now because he's gone. They want to bring a new disciple in who's, who's been there from the beginning. And it says, And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. So, Judas was a friend of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, a servant of Jesus. Had the power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, uh, to raise the dead. He was going to have the Spirit of God speak through him. When he was going to deliver unto the the authorities, uh, and all these things. But yet he wasn't a Christian. No, he fell by transgression from his apostleship and uh, from his being a disciple of Jesus. Let uh, we had many people that Paul spoke of who actually departed from the faith. First Timothy, uh, chapter one, uh, verses. 5 and 6. Now the purpose of the commandment of God is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith from which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk. So so there's some people, it doesn't get specifics here, who have strayed and turned aside to idle talk where have they strayed from? From a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. That's where they have turned from. We have uh, 1 Timothy chapter one, uh, verses eighteen through twenty. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Have suffered shipwreck, and then he gives the names, name the names here of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So he gives specific names here. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Paul tells Timothy, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, which means you possibly could not continue in them. For in doing this, for in continuing in the doctrine that you've been taught, you will save both yourself and those who will hear you. Okay, uh, and then in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 15. Actually, let's start in verse 11. Uh, but refuse the younger widows, for they had begun to grow wanton against Christ. They desire to marry. Talking about whether they should stay a widow or they should get married again. Uh, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house. Not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not. Therefore, I desire that young, younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. So these younger widows were in the faith, and they have turned aside after Satan. They turned aside from the faith. We have in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, and verse 9. Says Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world has departed for Thessalonica, Crestus for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. So Demas departed from the faith because he loved the present world. The Bible makes it very clear he would love the world love the Father. is not in him. Uh, and then we have parables of people who departed from the faith. Jesus gave him warnings here. Matthew chapter 24, Uh, in verse 48 to 51. Talking about, uh, let's just read verse 45 actually. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master may rule over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. I I say to you, that he will make him rule over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my delaying is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master that servant will come in a day when he's not looking for him, an hour that he's not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this guy is actually a servant. He's uh, one of the servants of, of Christ, who's coming back. And he turns aside to, to uh, beat his fellow servants, to eat and drink with the drunkards, and the sinner, and when Christ comes back, he won't be ready, and he'll be to serve his portion with the hypocrites. Hypocrites are those who are pretenders. Uh, they, 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 they think they're Christians, but they actually aren't Christians. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25. Just next parable right down. I'll start in verse two. Uh, that's verse one. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise. And five were foolish. And this, now, now, once again, the verse first. Now, the, ki- the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of the earth, the kingdom of heaven, shall be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. See, they all bride and the bridegroom. Now, who's the bride of the bridegroom? It's the church. It's the Christians. Okay? So, five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the fool said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answer saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But we'll go round right to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Talking about perseverance here. And while they were, they went to buy. The bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. and The door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, "Lord, Lord, open to us." By answering, said, "Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you." Now Calvin also usually used use Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 7, where it says, "Depart uh, from me, you work, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you." Now this year it's not saying that. So now obviously Matthew seven is teaching those who think they're saved but never were saved. But it's is saying, I I never knew you, I do not know you. So they were part of the bride they were part of the uh, of the bride, uh, they were part of the bride through the wedding feast, and they didn't persevere to the end. They didn't show up on time with their lamps trimmed. It says in verse thirteen, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour of which the Son of Man is coming the day nor the hour ok, Mark chapter 4 the parable of the sower here verses 16 through 19 now Jesus does the parable he t- talks about the parable and now he's explaining it to them his disciples what he meant uh, verse 16 <clears throat> well actually let's start in verse uh, 13 he said then do you not understand this parable how then will you understand all the parables the sower sows the word And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in the heart. So, obviously the first group never believed. These, likewise, are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness. There's not a false reception here, as some people would say. They actually received it, and with gladness. And And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. But they did endure for a time. But they didn't endure to the end. So they had more to After a tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So persecution comes and they stumble. And uh, they become shaft. Now these are the ones sown among the thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in. Choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. It be, so it once was fruitful, but it became unfruitful. And what, is, what do we see in John 15? Those who don't produce fruit, don't remain vine, and they have a, a love of the world, uh, they don't have the love of the Father in there, and they're cut off and cast away and thrown into the vine and burned. And then there's those who, who the sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And let's look at uh, uh, so things that are going to happen in the last days. 2 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 2 and verse 3. says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, they day have Christ coming back, as you read through the verse, uh, two verses before that, that they will not come, unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So, Christ can't even come back, unless P is wrong." So, if you want to believe in that's fine, but according to your doctrine, according to this verse, Christ can never come back now. But it says, unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, that they cannot come. And then uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says, expressly says, or explicitly says, that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, and so the spirit explicitly says that someone will depart. Why why did he say that? Because if it doesn't happen, Christ can't come back. So that's what the spirit expressly says. Then you have the the seven churches in the the Book of Revelation, and uh, out of the seven, only two were given all commendations; the other five were given many condemnations. And in every one, you can read it for yourself. If I can go through it, it talks about if you do not repent and endure to the end, you will not be saved. It says things like you will not eat the tree of life, I will not give you a new name if you don't persevere until the end. So, I mean, and he's talking to churches there. Not to buildings church like we know, we think today here in America. But actually the body of Christ. The true church. Those who, who once were part of it, and they are living in sin, they need to repent. They want to uh, endure to the end. And then you have, uh, so we've talked about, um, you know, the we can lose salvation, which actually means apart from the faith, fall away, or be cut off, according to the Bible. So we see today that perseverance of the saints, uh, saints do have to persevere to the end, and, you know, and that's why it's, it's actually better called preservation of the saints, because perseverance of the saints uh, gives the impression that the saints are doing the persevering. They actually had some effort involved in the situation. But really what this teaches, if we're going to be consistent with monergism here, instead of synergism, it must be preservation of saints. God is preserving them. They're not persevering. So, but there's two kinds of people who lose their salvation. There's the reprobate, and there's the backslider. Let's look at these last two verses here, two passages to, to look at both of those groups. Hebrews 6, verses 4-6 through this is the reprobate for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame so there's some people who it's impossible for them to repent they're called reprobates, and these are people who God's given them all the knowledge, all the drawing He's done for them, He's given them all the time in the world for them to, to stop their sin and they continue in their sin. Uh, he says, "Well, there's no more hope for them. If I've done everything I can do, they're not re- giving to my drawing and my influence now uh, at this highest point, as as i was describing Hebrews six four through six, and they won't give in at this point. There's no higher point to go to of me influencing them or drawing them. Then there's no hope for them." They can't repent. Uh, There's no more hope for them. And then we have James chapter 5 and verse 19 uh, 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you, anyone among the brethren, wanders from the truth, and someone turns them back to the truth, let him know that he who turns a sinner, well he was a brethren, now he's a sinner, from the error of his way, will save a soul from death and cover it a multitude of sins. So he's talking to the brethren here, If anyone, you uh, you know, wanders from the truth and someone turns them back to the truth. Uh, he saves a sinner from the error of his ways and will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So he had those who are reprobates and those who were backsliders. So all you can see today uh, that perseverance of the saints is dead wrong. They went through some of the proof texts they used, not all of them by any means, but some of the proof texts they use and And I look at some other passages that clearly go against it. What I want you to keep in mind is this. So when interpreting the Bible, you must use sound hermeneutics. And one hermeneutic principle we need to use when interpreting the Bible is, clear verses uh, explain or interpret unclear verses. You know, so there's other proof texts out there. If they're not as clear as these ones I've, I've shown you today, that talk about someone who can lose their salvation, but you must interpret properly by interpreting the unclear verses and the clear verses. I've given you five very clear passages and verse, the verse the verse today that clearly shows someone can lose their salvation and some have in the past and some will in the future. So, uh, perseverance of the saints, preservation of the saints is wrong. So clues are this. A person can backslide from salvation. A person can ultimately lose their salvation. They can even become reprobates. God is able to keep someone from falling. God always has the power available to keep someone in His grace. The question is, will someone abide in Him until the end, or remain in Him until the end, or will they be cut off by stop produ- by not remaining in Him and not producing fruit? People have a free will given to them by God. The question becomes, will they use their free will rightly? Uh, so hopefully you can see that, uh, that Tulip is... It's dead wrong, it's not biblical, it's not historical, it's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, So, really, I I trust, according to 1 John 2.27, that uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, will guide you to all truth, and that you'll test everything I've said as a Berean against the Word of God. Don't believe what I say, don't believe what John MacArthur, John Piper, Paul Washer, Archie Sproul, don't believe what they say, don't don't trust catechisms and synods and statements of faith, you search the Word of God for yourself and see what it says. And that's not a prideful thing, to reject what these scholars say, and, and decide for yourself what the Bible says. You don't have to be intimidated by their their PhDs, and their MDs behind their name. You have the an anointing of the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. And you know when the teacher according to 1 John 2.27, but He will guide you to all truth. So I, I pray that uh, you know, you've got, you'll you seek the truth, and, and God will reveal it to you. Uh, if you have any questions, you can always email me at at, uh, R-E-V, Rev, underscore, Kerrigan at yahoo.com, or Kerrigan at PinpointEvangelism.com. Uh, God bless, and, and thanks for watching. Praise God who's not a Calvinist, praise God who plays no favorites, praise God who despises to live, praise God who gives all men free. praise god who's not a calvinist
1: praise
0: god who plays no favorites praise god who despises